She Did It Her Way podcast, episode 156, How to Be Strategic When Scaling Your Business with Rosalind Artson. Welcome to the She Did It Her Way podcast, a collective of interviews with top female entrepreneurs from around the globe who have done it their way. These women are disruptors, savvy, courageous, confident, innovative, decisive, unconventional, and humble. Our ladies have proven business models, have taken risks, and have failed only for success to follow. Join us as they share their stories, behaviors, habits, mindset, thought processes, and what it is like to be a woman who means business. And now, here's your host, Amanda Bolin. Okay. Well, welcome to the podcast, you guys. I am hanging out with Rosalind Artson, who is the founder of uh, Max Raw. There we go. I wanted to make sure that I got it correctly. But I'm going to turn it over to Rosalind and just share with us what it, what it is that you do, and then we'll talk about your journey as an entrepreneur and how you launched your company. Okay. Uh, so thank you, Amanda. And um, Maxra is uh, 10 years old this year, which is uh, quite a scary milestone. Um, sometimes you wonder if you're mm-hmm. going to get to 10 years. Um, we are a professional services company. We help companies envision their technology and make sure they're getting the most out of whatever they've invested in. And sometimes we help them think about new areas such as the cloud and, you know, technology is moving very fast these days as is security threats and how to make sure that their business is both protected and also they are empowering their people to do the most they can with the technology they have and or need to make the right investments. So that's a big part of our business. And then more in the local space, because we're based in Seattle. Uh, we do do we, we do it outside of Seattle, but mostly Seattle. We will help companies with staffing resources and usually based around our expertise areas, such as uh, you know using products in a better way or coming in and project managing a project or something to that effect. So um, two sides of our business are probably pretty equally split. Um, but definitely been an interesting journey over 10 years. Um, so I guess that's where we've, we started. So I'm just trying to think what else to say. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that, that's, that's great. Okay, my, I mean, my next follow-up question is, you've been running the company um, since almost 10 years ago. Yes, like what made you think about, mm-hmm. yeah, what made you think about the company? How did you know that you wanted to launch it? You know, it, it, I don't think anybody necessarily does, although some people do say, I'm going to create the next big worldwide success story. Uh, mm-hmm. I had run a business previously when I lived in the United Kingdom. As you'll hear, I have a rather mixed accent, which is a combination of Australia and England and America. And uh, so I'd run a business before and probably vowed at that point I would never, ever run a business ever again. Um just because there's a lot on your shoulders, you know, and I think there's a lot that goes from, hey, I've got this wonderful idea to I have employees, I have legal requirements, I have, you know, all kinds of things that you go, man, I don't want to be doing this. You know, I don't want to be a grown up. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, as I said, I ran a business in the UK. It was a training business. Uh, we're talking in the late 90s. I was very young when I did that and I got out of that business, basically able to pay back my mother the money she'd invested. Um, in the business and that was about it but at least I didn't know any money out of it so I then went um, on through a a couple of things I I went into a couple of large corporations I worked for Unisys in the UK for a while and then through a very funny turn of events they sort of swapped me into Microsoft so um, I was on a project um, 
for Unisys at Microsoft and got called my, by my boss one day and said, we do think it'd be easier if you worked for Microsoft. I went, do I have any say in this? And oh. they went, no, not really. <laughs> so um, I'm, suddenly a, I'm suddenly a Microsoft employee on Monday when I was a Unisys employee on Friday. Um, and Microsoft oh was a God. lot smaller then. It wasn't like, oh my God, wow, I work for Microsoft. It was like, okay, I work for Microsoft. Um, so I worked for Microsoft in the UK for nearly two years and then relocated to Australia because my mother wasn't well and uh, it was time to go home. I'd been in England for 12 years at that point. And so relocated to Microsoft Australia, was there for a few years and then got the opportunity to move to the US with the Windows XP launch, which was in 2001. Um, and I did, I did many, many different roles at Microsoft. It's a wonderful organization. I started off in a very technical role, uh, which was all about uh, migrating customers from uh, what was then Lotus Notes. Obviously, Notes later got bought by IBM uh, to the Microsoft product exchange back then. And uh, by the time I finished, I was an executive speechwriter, which is a very different role. What? Yes. Oh my God! How did you get to be an executive speechwriter? I just, you know, I was in between those two two ends. I was a business manager. I was an operations manager. I was a director in the readiness team. I mean, we're talking a fifteen year period. So, I got to do a lot of different things at Microsoft, but definitely working for Microsoft for, in three different countries. I got to see the flavor of the company, both in a subsidiary downstream sense and also working at the head office, the corporate office. Um, so mm. I ended up this executive speech writer joke, and maybe this isn't the best way to think of starting a business, but that last couple of years working for a uh, corporate vice president who never slept, in fact, I think he averaged about two or three hours a night, um, I really was fried. I didn't know what I wanted to do next, and I didn't feel it was right for me to commit to another position at Microsoft. You tend to do those... Uh, staff roles as they call them, a business manager, chief of staff, speechwriter. You tend to do them mm. for about two years. Uh, but after that, I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I was not that excited about anything. So I thought I would take a break. And that was a really hard decision, you know, because I'd been with the company 15 years and wow. see what I wanted to do next. And the funny story was, is my, my VP at the time, freaked out that I wouldn't be around to help him on a task and hired me back as a vendor. So, <laughs> uh, but then I'm only responsible for one piece rather than this huge job. And so I just started to do contract work, you know, and sort of do what, you know, execute for a while rather than have to think, which I'd been definitely thinking for the mm. last five, six years at Microsoft and my head hurt. Um, and now I always joke, you know, when you don't know what you want to do, go start a company in the middle of a recession. So, because... <laughs> It was a recession back then. And so, you know, the first year of a Maxra was really me just doing things. Um, and then I think I have a natural tendency to build teams. Um, I guess my best years at Microsoft was when I was managing a group or a team. Um, I believe very much in the safe manager. I believe a manager doesn't always have to agree with you, but they should have your back. And there were plenty of managers at Microsoft who didn't have your back. You know, they would, mm. they would be throwing you under the bus. And so I... I Again, my best years, I felt, was when I empowered a team to do the, their best work, which meant basically you could scale. So within about a year, and Amaxra started in October 2007, within about a, a year, I had more work than I could handle, and I'm starting to, before I realized, to build a team. So started wow. to get people on to augment what I could do. And, and the interesting thing there, which has been a little bit of an aha, is really everything Amaxra has done up until about six months ago I have probably incubated. So 
what I what I mean by that is uh, I've pretty well decided, hey, there's something in deploying SharePoint or there's something in doing CRM solutions. I've learned about it, made a business case about it, and then hired somebody to take it off my plate who probably can do more than I can do. And now we're getting into areas where I'm not that person anymore. You know, we're starting to offer um, offerings around security and we're starting to do things around security assessments for customers. And that's not me. I'm a customer just like anybody else who's worried about my business mm. and worried about what happens when, you know, um, an employee leaves my company. How do I protect that data that they're not walking out with all of my, all of their emails on their phone? How do I wipe that without wiping their phone? I don't know how to do any of this. But I'm, as a business owner and a consumer, concerned about these things for my business. And therefore, many of, many of my, um, you know, compatriots running businesses care as well. <coughs> so it is, we are moving now to a space where I always, Roz isn't leading everything. You know, I'm just hiring some very clever people who can do this as well. So I think that's been a real aha, you know, in the last as I said, about six months or so, where I'm identifying opportunities that will help our customers, but it isn't necessarily me incubating that before it becomes a business line. Does that scare you? Or like, what, how does that make you feel? As you know, it's really reassuring that it's not all on my shoulders. <laughs> so <laughs> it's more that I have to make the right decisions. I mean, I will tell you, running a business, it's exhausting. It's tired, tiring at times. And you know, when it's a small business, you know, we're, we're currently, if you count the consultants out on roles, we're about just over 50 people. So that's not tiny, but it's also a lot of people I'm accountable and responsible for. And so when it's me who's also driving a new business line, there's so many calls on you during the day to support your existing business and existing team and customers, as well as thinking about new lines of business, that it's actually really mm. nice to know that I've hired a couple of really great people who can do this better than I can. So, yeah, what, um, what have you, oh my gosh, I just had a question on the top of my, top of my head that I was thinking about. Have you like, okay, after being in business for almost 10 years, what has been the biggest shift for you as a business owner from like when you first started to now being a decade in? You know, I would say I'm always aware of this, but I'm not very good at doing it, that, I will be the person who stays up into the ridiculous hours of the night because there's a deliverable and it has to be done. Or I'll be the person who ultimately says, just let me do it. I can do it faster. I can do it quicker. Mm. Just let me get it done. And you realize that for longevity of both yourself and the company, you can't do that. So I've always been the person I always, um, I'm very bad and not bad at sleeping. I'm bad at going to bed, uh, which drives my husband nuts. Um, and I can survive quite nicely on four or five hours of sleep a night, which again is not good for you. Oh my God. do it. I'm not the VP who could do two hours, but I can survive. Um, but surviving is not going to lead to health and all the other things that are important as a leader. And I think my real pivotal shift was, um, I always call last year was an interesting year. The business was fine, but it was my whack-a-mole year. I had just some crazy employee things to deal with. I had one who went out on medical leave and never came back. I've never dealt with that before. Um, you know, I had um, a person in my company who could do her job but didn't behave very nicely with everybody else. Uh, my learning from that is I probably should have got her to go a lot earlier than I did because the the respect of your coworkers is very important. So I had to always mitigate because there'd be some fight going on when I came back to the office. So mm. my ahas here was my ability to lead 
I have to also be looking after myself. And I have to put some parameters around myself to make sure I'm not going to drop of a heart attack or something because unfortunately the stress can do that. Lack of sleep, not eating properly and all of those kinds of things. It's still a work in progress. <laughs> so <laughs> the question this is solved because I'm trying to change some lifelong habits. But I'm trying to, you know, I signed on with a personal trainer because I know the first thing that will go for me is I stay up late, I won't go to the gym. So if I've booked mm-hmm. something I'm paying money for, I'm going to turn up, which means I will get myself to bed a little earlier. So I, you know, and I've just learned some things about myself that I have to do, which is important for me as a leader, because me coming to work exhausted and tired and, you know, I can't be the leader they need me to be if I'm, if I'm not looking after myself. And and that's hard when you're a leader because it's like, well, where, where do I balance this? What do I do? I've got work and I've got personal life and I've got, you know, the company and, and I've got to juggle all of these things and something's going to drop. There comes a point you have to go, if I'm in this for the long haul, I have to be looking after myself as well. You know, it is important because otherwise I won't be here to see this through. And mm-hmm. and and that was a real aha for me probably around the eight, nine year point. And as I said, it's still a work in progress, but I'm getting a lot better. So <laughs> what do you think it has been the toughest decision you've had to make in your business? The hardest decision is people decisions. Hardest, hardest, hardest decision. And I mean when someone's not doing the job you need and you've tried to get them to do that and they just aren't getting there. It is the hardest thing. I, we've had people where the company has just outgrown them or we hired them for a specific purpose. And again, dealing in technology, things move very, very quickly. And you need people to be very agile. And what they did last week might be different to what they're doing this week. And some people can adapt to that and some people just can't. And every time I had to let somebody go because it's just not right place for them anymore, um, maybe it wasn't the right place for them ever. Maybe they were a bad hire and that that's not on them, that's on me for or whoever hired them in the team the due diligence, we didn't do the right gates, you know, and that comes back to that come mm-hmm. to fit, like the person I mentioned who didn't respect or behave nicely with her co-workers. Well, that hopefully should have got caught a lot earlier than it did, you know, rather than thinking, oh, we'll be okay. Um, because all that happens in that case is people find ways to work around the person who's being uncooperative. Um, you know, so I think the big the big one for me is, you know, or, or the, the one that is the hardest is when you've got somebody who hasn't done anything wrong, but they just aren't aligned with your business objectives anymore. And then you just have to handle mm-hmm. it this way you can. But it is a person. And I take that 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 whole thing. My poor husband, he, I churn over this stuff when it when it's a decision. And he hears it 10 times over. And, you know, and he's like, for God's sake, could you just deal with it? Because I'm tired of hearing about it. And he's very supportive. <laughs> so get, don't get me wrong. So it, it really is. I think any business owner will tell you, sometimes it's easier to do it all yourself, which leads back to my other point about are you looking after yourself because you can't scale? Because dealing with the people stuff is hard. Even the good people stuff is hard because you've got to keep them optimum and got to make sure you're supporting them and they're not taking on too much stuff and, you know, reward them appropriately and, and make them feel appreciated. And, and But the people stuff is probably the hardest thing, I think. Mm-hmm. What... Um... What is it like to work for you? Oh, that's an interesting question. If you were my boss. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I expect a high bar, but I will absolutely train somebody to get there. We definitely have a philosophy in a max where there are no wrong questions. There are no stupid questions. And I would much rather someone ask a question than sit there for 10 hours trying to work something out. 
um, I always say there's the little antennae that tell you there's got to be an easier way. Someone will know the answer to this. Um, mm. I don't like time wasters. I don't like people who take advantage. Um, and some people do. Some people come along to a job and think, you know, I'm going to knock off for the afternoon. It doesn't matter whether I've done what I should have done. You know, so I have a high bar on accountability. But if somebody, you know, is doing the job they need to do, I also hope I'm a good boss as well and give them time off and, and make sure they're take, you're taking advantage of that. And, you know, just, again, I wouldn't say I don't like micromanaging, but until I know you can do your job, I'll definitely be in your hair, you know? And mm -hmm. and that's more to make sure you're okay too. You're not that you're being assumed you're all right, you know, assumed you can manage the job on your own. But, you know, I, I think some folk could say I'm tough, uh, but tough, I hope tough reasonably. You know, because I sort of, again, I guide this by, I want to be the manager I would have wanted, you know, and I've had some phenomenally bad managers in my time and I've had some great managers in my time. So I guess you learn as much from the bad ones as the good ones. Uh, so I want to be approachable. I want to have my door open, but I also have another layer of management now below me. So I've got to make sure that they're empowered to deal with their teams and not that their teams are coming to me directly and basically bypassing the management structure I've put in place. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, so in talking about building teams in, in the beginning of entrepreneurship, what would you say, based on your experience, is maybe one or two of the most important things someone should keep in mind as they're building their business in the early stages? Slowly. Just go slowly. Don't go crazy and hire all these people because every person comes with their own issues, complexities, challenges. They might start with the right thing and then something personal happens and they can't be as committed. Make sure you've got the time to absorb that into your team. The other thing I would say that I think is critically important, and I go back to the person who didn't behave very nicely, and I said she was just passive aggressive. She was just rude. She was just rude to her coworkers so that they were just like, whoa, you know, what did I do to deserve that? Um, I think. When I was learning how to manage at Microsoft, so I wasn't a manager in the UK, but when I went to Microsoft Australia and with Microsoft, each country you work for sort of onboard you as a new employee, um, but you are an employee. So there's certain things you don't need to do because you're already an employee and there's certain things because you're a new employee in that country. So I was never a manager in Microsoft UK, but I was in Australia. And one of the things they taught you was two things are really important. Obviously, can the person do the job or can they do the job with a little bit of training? Uh, the other one is, are they a fit for Microsoft? And I remember thinking at the time, wow, that's arrogant, you know, really arrogant to say you are fit for the company. Like, who do you think you are? Mm. But that has become so, so relevant to me because now when we hire, there really is that double test. There is, can they do the job or can they grow into the job we need them to do? But almost more importantly, are they a fit for the company? And by fit, I mean, do they, do, will they, will they follow our values? You know, which is being respectful. Um, it doesn't mean you have to want to go out to drinks with them every night. It doesn't mean you want to socialize with them. In fact, that can add its own complexity um, if people do want to socialize together. But it's um, really making sure that there is that respect at a minimum level that everybody's been hired into the company at a, you know, for a reason. And that means we work together. And if we can't work together, why can't we work together? And certainly that was, it's certainly been something all along, but definitely with the person who I let stay too long, um, I think that became critically important that if somebody doesn't honor the company values you've got to act quickly because and, and if you can bring those into your hiring even more relevant you know um i know there's a company in 
the Bay Area, and I don't know their name, who basically put all of their potential employees through a week of employment. Um, it's a, oh, that's a, and then, and then they, they gave st- them the option of whether they wanted to stay or not, exactly, right? Exactly, and it, it goes both ways. And they basically say because a lot of people can hide a lot of stuff in an interview, but they can't really hide it for a week. Well, I'm not even sure a week is enough. What we do is we have like a two-month probation. So it's you've got two months, and at that two months point, usually by then you'll know if it's a fit or not a fit. Uh, but we try in our hiring to be asking certain questions to see, you know, that I'm extra fit again. Will I ask questions? Will I be afraid to ask? Will, you know, will I want to share what I know? You know, there, there's certain things that we want to identify before somebody is even hired. And and I think that's critically mm-hmm. important to work out what are your, what is your good employee? What is your ideal employee? And try and put that into some way of assessing that pretty early on in their employment. And again, having a go, no go date or area, we can go, look, this just isn't a fit for you and it isn't for us either. You know, nothing wrong. It just isn't a fit. We hired somebody in December and it just wasn't a fit, you know, and she could do the job, but it just wasn't a fit. And we just agreed after three and a half weeks, it wasn't a fit. And I think having mm-hmm. that ability to say that on either side is really important. But of course, you've had someone in the company for, for three weeks. There's a cost. There's what was the work product. So the, the sooner you can identify both that fit to can they do the job and are they a fit for the company and where the company's direction is going is really important. Yeah. Well, and especially, I mean, like what you said, too, you're, you've already created the expectation and dialogue for both parties to say, okay, like it, it, you create an environment to say, okay, it's totally fine if, if it's not a fit. Um, what would you, like, how, how has your mindset shifted or changed from the early days to now in terms about revenue growth and the way that you looked at how you're going to attract revenue, how you were going to, like, make the money? Has that changed well, since you started you, the company? I think when you start, you haven't a clue. Even if you've got the next big, <laughs> next big idea, you have no idea how you're going to execute on this. Um, and it's hard. You know, it depends what your product is. I always remember there's a, a company that makes um, sheets, and I wish I could think who they are. Um there's a husband and wife team who decided sheets were too expensive, so they were going to make their own. And they had to learn the whole production cycle of how linen gets made, right? And oh. it's a similar thing that they hadn't a clue how to make linen. They just knew they could do a better price point. And they had to work out the whole outsourcing and production and learn the industry and how to make good quality. It really is like that. It's like I think when people say, I'm going to start a business, they don't really know how they're going to go to market. I mean – more often than not, it's somebody who does something really well for somebody else and then they go out on their own with that skill set and then they think they can make a business of it. So maybe I do marketing for somebody, but now I'm going to go out and become a marketing consultant or something along those lines. I definitely know that Maxra, when it started, was probably more about communications and presentations because that's what I was doing at the time. And, you know, then I realized we needed to diversify more. That's when we started doing technology and I've always been one about what's the latest, greatest technology that'll help me do my business. I've always had a, a saying, anything done twice has been done once too often. Uh, so mm. how can I better, better use what I've got as a business owner? And then because I guess you combine the ability to do presentations and speeches, we started to evangelize that and people start to say, hey, can you do that for me? But now we're being a lot more strategic about how we think of what our go-to-markets are. We put the planning around it, how we're going to market it, what tools do we need to market it, what audiences do we need to attract. We haven't got it solved. I mean, we're doing some work on our website right now, which right now doesn't 
looks very nice and doesn't say very much. So we're doing some work to make it a lot more targeted and attract the right customers to it. Um, so it's an ongoing effort, but I think we're just, uh, we've learned how to be a lot more strategic about thinking the end-to-end of a go-to-market rather than mm-hmm. probably in the early years, it was a bit more spaghetti at the wall. Mm-hmm. How many years would you say you, you experienced spaghetti at the wall? Oh, probably a good four, I'd say, a good four yeah. to five. Mm-hmm. What, um, for you, like with your business, how have you changed since like where your personal development, your personal growth as an entrepreneur and a business owner from when you started to now? Um, I think it goes back to what I said earlier, that real aha that if you're in here for the long haul and long haul could be, I want to build this up to something that somebody wants to buy uh, mm-hmm. or I want this to be an ongoing business that I want my employees to own when I'm not here anymore um, or my children to own or whatever. If you're in it for the long haul, you've got to be making sure you're looking after yourself. And I've had a lot of people telling me, you know, you need more sleep or you need to eat better or you need to be working out better or you look tired or you're the hardest working person I know, which I don't take as flattery, by the way. Um, it, it takes a lot to, to, in, to take that on and believe it and go, no, I really do need to be doing better for myself, you know, and I really do need to be looking after myself to enable me to be the leader I need to be. Um, and it's hard. It's hard as a business owner because it ultimately is, if something's not getting done, it falls on your plate. Somebody has to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, when the customer's screaming that they didn't get their deliverable, if it's within your capacity, you're the one who's going to be probably burning the midnight oil trying to make it happen. Uh, so it is just that for me to not hear it but actually own it, that I have to be making sure I am equipped to be the leader I need to be so that my, my company can do what it needs to do. And also mm-hmm. be setting an example. If I'm coming to work exhausted and tired and I'm not the kind of person who gets irritable when I'm tired, so I don't tend to bite people's heads off or anything like that. But if I'm just tired... What? Of my- oh, my gosh. I want, the, I want your superpower. Oh, I, I, just, I just don't. I just try to be more reasonable than that, I think. But I, I, do, I do know that I can't be... When someone comes to me with a challenge or a problem, if I'm tired and I'm exhausted because I only got three hours sleep the night before... I can't give necessarily the input they need. So it just it just traverses itself in so many ways that and it is hard. It's like, so do I go to sleep, go to the gym, or do I finish that project for a client who's gonna pay me? You know, sometimes you have you to, to make learn money. how to balance that, you know? I wanna do yeah. the thing that's gonna pay the bottom line, but if I don't look after myself longer term, there won't be more projects. So it, it is a hard one and it's a constant juggle and I think every entrepreneur goes through that. You know, how do I juggle mm-hmm what the business needs versus my needs. And mm. you just have to do your best. Yeah. And what are you, I have else to be accountable for you. So that's why I have my gym trainer. <laughs> there you go. Put the, put the structure in place to keep you accountable exactly. and then figure out what that's going to take. Mm-hmm. What do you, so a couple last questions mm-hmm. before we wrap up. Um, what has been a book that you've read that you just recommend to everyone all the time? I, I love the book Good to Great. Um, there's a book called Good mm-hmm. to Great. I don't even know who writes it. Um, Jim Collins. <laughs> thank you. And, you know, I don't even know a lot of what the book says because I read it many years ago and I probably should read it again. But I love the term, get the right people on the bus and then work out where the bus is going. 
Because sometimes you get the right people in the team and they will think of things you never thought of. And remember, the entrepreneur doesn't have to be thinking of everything. And this goes back to my, there was a long time in Maxwell where I pretty well thought of everything and then it got incubated and then I, I brought a better person in than me to do it. Now we're getting into a stage where these folk are coming up with awesome ideas and I go, oh my God, that's fantastic. And I can contribute my perspective to it, but it isn't just me who thought of the idea. So if you get the right people on the bus, the bus will go in a great direction. You get the wrong people on the bus, like my passive aggressive person, and it actually can derail you and it can really hold you up. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, that, and it, it, that is a really great book too. What is, if I give you $100 today, how would you spend it? Take my team out for a fun lunch. <laughs> nice. And then um, the last question is, what if you were driving down the road and there was a billboard and you got to put whatever you wanted on it for people to remember, what would it say? Personal or about the company or what? In- Just about your your life experience as a business owner. Oh, life experience as a business owner on a billboard. I mean, being the marketing side of me, I'd say put something about the company up there to remind them what we do. <laughs> uh, or like, what what would what would you want people to remember Roslyn for? Like, what is that mantra? What is that thing? You know, it's a hard question to answer, but I guess in a roundabout way to answer that, I would say, I believe in doing the best you can at everything you can. And if you doesn't come out the way you want it to, at least you gave it your best shot. So I would probably say everything you do, give it your best shot. So that if it doesn't work out the way you wanted or hoped or whatever, you can look back and go, I gave it my best shot and there isn't this, if only I'd done this or if only I'd done that. So whether it's a business idea or a relationship or whatever it might be, give it your best shot. And then if it, you know, then what what will be will be, basically. You know, so I'm not saying I'm I'm believing it's in somebody else's hands. I'm not, but I'm saying if you did everything you could, success or whatever, and successfully or failure or whatever, you can say, I'm not kicking myself that I could have done something more or something else. Does that sort of answer your question? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Give it your best shot. I'm gonna we'll we'll wrap it up there. Roslyn, okay. thank you so much for your time and energy, enthusiasm, and just in, insight about entrepreneurship. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. You're very welcome. Thank you. And then um, I'll be in touch. I'll let you know when the podcast okay. goes live. I'll send you the link. And if you wouldn't mind, thank you so much for recording yes, it Yes, I as will well. get the recording back to you so you can then do okay. something with it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Ross. Thanks so much, Amanda. Have right. a great Bye-bye. day. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the She Did It Her Way podcast. Did you like this episode? 
head on over to iTunes.com to leave us a rating and a review. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out SheDidItHerWayPodcast.com, where you can subscribe to our email list so you can receive the inside scoop on our latest episode released each Monday. Now, do us a favor and go make it a great week.